Okay. Hello, Sam. How are you today? Hey, Clint. How are you going? Well, thanks. So today we are talking about shin splints. Um, so I guess obviously the first question is most people have probably got some feel for what shin splints actually are. Um, could be right, could be wrong. So let's start off by talking about uh, what shin splints actually are. Well, sh shin splints, uh, Clint, are a, it's an umbrella term, really, shin splint. For, mm -hmm. it, usually we use that for pain uh, along your shin, which is the, uh, the, the front and inside part of your leg, or the mm -hmm. shin there, the tibia bone. Um, so the, that's typically all along there. You can get a number of different sort of uh, pains around there, but we, we sort of bundle them all together and refer to them as shin splints. So someone will get pain in their leg, typically on the inside, and, uh, and we'll call that shin splints. The most common right. type of shin splints, though, or the, or the most common uh, pain that you'd get in that area is uh, something called medial tibial stress syndrome, which is a, uh, a pain along the anterior medial aspect of that tibia, which is that front inside, the lower third, typically um, just above your ankle. So between your ankle and your knee, but typically it's in that, if you divide that up into three, uh, it's typically in that lower third, so just above your ankle. Now, you've said there's a few different types of, Oh, it's an umbrella term. So, mm. and you said this is the most common one. How common is it? Does it account for like 80% of shin splints, 60%? What sort of? Uh, I'd say, yeah, I'd say clinically, oh, it mm. account for about 80%. Of 80%. All right, so if somebody's, so if somebody says I got shin splints, then it is very likely to be, and I've forgotten the name of it already. What was the name of this condition? Medial, medial tibial stress syndrome. Medial tibial stress syndrome. Yeah. Gotcha. So when, That's so are we going to, Right. So are we going to focus on that when we talk about shin splints or are we going to talk about some of the other types of shin splints or is that sort of a top, is this topic in its own right that we should focus on today? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's, it's a topic in its own right, but it's, um, I think it's the sort of go-to diagnosis right. that you're looking for when somebody's mm -hmm. got shin pain mm -hmm. and you've got to then look for things that are not medial tibial stress syndrome. So, right. because it, it can be other things in that area, mm. of course, um, shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome. Uh, more precisely is probably on a continuum so mm -hmm. yeah you know, if you imagine it's you know a little bit of the stress through the tibia there but it can also progress to things like stress fractures through the tibia so you don't want to miss that mm -hmm. you don't want to be treating a stress fracture like you would um, just a uh, stress reaction for example mm. but there are other things like compartment syndromes in that area so there are different things that you'd need to look out for mm. but um but typically you're trying to use your starting point is medial tibial stress syndrome yep. until you've proven otherwise clinically. And you just said there was a spectrum. So mm. it can get very severe as well, but you would still consider it part of that same um, medial tibial stress syndrome. But yes. then there are some things that are just completely different. Is that correct? It'll, it'll, it can progress. So the stress in the bone can progress mm. to a stress fracture, for mm -hmm. example. And would that still uh, be considered be essentially somewhere on the spectrum of the medial tibial stress syndrome? Or is that then now considered it's, a different condition? Well, it's 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 a different condition. It becomes right. a stress fracture, but right, yeah. uh, it's it's so the spectrum would be the bone stress or the bone injury. Mm. So right. the injury, the bone injury, can be a little bit of overuse, a bit of stress, a bit of remodeling, and so mm. you get some bone bruising, as we'd call it, or a mm -hmm. stress reaction. Uh, and then that, if it's if it's treated well, that will subside. Mm -hmm. If it's not treated and, and you continue down that spectrum or you continue down that continuum of stress, then uh, it, it'll overwhelm the bone's healing capacity and it'll become a stress fracture, for example, and if you gotcha. keep going. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where uh, we want to watch out for different things like that or you want to rule things out like that if you need to. But mm -hmm. typically when somebody comes in with just pain uh, along that inside 
area or the inside uh, lower area, especially mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're looking at, we think medial tibial stress syndrome, and yep. then we've got to try and prove otherwise or, gotcha. or rule out other, yep. other conditions. And speaking of medial tibial stress syndrome, from what I've picked up there, it is very much a bone thing. It's about yes. the bone. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. All right. So tell us what's actually going on with the bone then. Uh, well, two theories actually, but they're bone, both bone related. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they bring into perspective things around the bone so that things that attach to the bone uh, over the bone we've got like a a very fine layer like a bone skin for you mm-hmm. uh for the purposes of this conversation we'll call it you know the, a bone skin or a wrap around the bone mm-hmm. uh that's called the periosteum and so that's a lining over the tibia that can get inflamed and usually that's there's two schools of uh, of thought there one is that it's a it's a traction injury or an overuse it's Definitely an overused thing, usually, mm-hmm. but it's a it's usually a traction of muscles and uh, and the periosteum. So at that interface, muscles are pulling away. You know, this is one of the theories that muscles are pulling away at that bone if they're a bit tight or they're working harder. And as they're pulling away, where they insert onto that um, onto that bone, they that periosteum then becomes inflamed, and mm-hmm. that's where we get the pain from. That's that's one theory. The other theory is that it's not actually muscles that are involved. It's just purely bone. And it's, mm-hmm. it's as we overuse the tibia or, uh, you know, we start running a lot more or we put a lot more impact on basically. And there's many things in that equation. But as the forces that are generated uh, increase, we get compression of that inside of the tibia there. We get compression, compressive forces there. And then that causes the bone stress. And typically, either way, what happens around that area is that as the bone's trying to remodel, the bone remodeling to, to handle the stress around that tibia, it doesn't happen quickly enough for the amount of activity that the mm-hmm. person is, is doing. So then while we're in that phase, we get the, this stress syndrome uh, gotcha. along that, that border. I just want to That's clarify. That's typically how it happens. Sure. Now, when you say remodeling, um, a lot of people are probably thinking of their homes. But what you're talking about here is the bone is actually, I guess, growing more in some regions, maybe even doing the opposite of growing and shrinking in other parts. Mm. It's essentially mm. changing its shape to accommodate the new stresses that it's um, being subjected to. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. So, right. so our, our body deals with, uh, with stress and forces in that way so that we've got adaptation mm-hmm. where it's, it's sort of like the use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, your, your, your strength training at the gym, you, you're sort of stressing something beyond its capacity, mm-hmm. not enough to injure it uh, mm-hmm. fully, but to introduce some micro injury. And then the bone, in this case, the bone would, would, would be remodeling and gotcha. adapting so that it can then withhold, withstand that sort mm-hmm. of stress. Now, that happens, that, if that happens at a rate that is equal to the amount of loading, then mm-hmm. everything's, mm-hmm. everything's fine. If it happens too um, too slow for the amount of stress that we're putting on, then obviously its capacity to to withstand those stresses is reduced, and we then introduce um, the right sort of environment for a bone injury such as shin splints or an overuse bone injury such as gotcha. uh, shin splints. Now, I just want to touch on something you said. There are two theories, which I find interesting because mm. I guess a lot of people don't realize that there are things we don't know um, as humans and out the world around us. And that's a bit shocking to some people. Um, do you have a preference on one of those theories? Is there one that sort of you feel is more likely to be the winner than the other? Or you actually think there could even be a third theory? 
Yeah, well, there could there could be more, and and as as imaging gets a little bit more sophisticated, mm-hmm. we're we're seeing a lot more, and and that's where that second theory came from. It was more when oh. when we start looking at imaging, mm-hmm. uh, people say, oh, well, actually, the the muscles aren't really inflamed, or mm. there doesn't look to be um, tightness in this area where we would usually think if there's a traction injury there, there's going to gotcha. be tightness of this muscle, but we're not actually noticing that, and so the the bone compression theory then you know takes over. That's the new kid on um, the block. That's the new kid on the block. Right. But I think for me personally, I, I don't subscribe to one and mm. disregard the other. I would, I would mm. see they both make sense from a yeah. clinical perspective, but you've got to be able to apply one mm. to a certain person. So if somebody came in, for example, with um, uh, tight muscle groups in that area, you know, and that was a, you could very plausibly say that's a contributing factor and we're going mm. to treat that. We're going to include that in the treatment mm. plan. If it's not at all, then I would go uh, the other way and say, okay, well, uh, I think that, you know, that's not a big enough factor in this condition or in this presentation to be mm. able to include that in the treatment program. I'm going to go more down the compressive forces. Gotcha. Uh, so, to, okay. The beauty though. Yeah, sorry. go ahead. I was going to say, to me, it seems, oh, sorry to cut you off, just to get this out there. So it seems it's quite yeah. possible they're both correct, but we've got different types of shin splints. Uh, and we just need to realize that. But I guess the other thing here that's interesting is if anybody has shin splints and they mm. get the opportunity to be a part of any research project, then they'd probably be doing humanity a favor um, by helping us collect more information. So if you do have shin splints and you hear yes, of any research is. project, uh, get involved. And I guess you also said something there that was interesting was that you would, you're using these different theories to help guide your treatment. So I guess even though we're not 100% on what shin splints are, uh, or their, their precise nature, we still do have a very good understanding on the kind of activity that results in shin splints. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming we feel pretty confident in our ability to treat them. Is that correct? Yes. And, and the, the other thing to that is, even though there are two theories, um, there could be more theories, the end result of that theory is, you know, there's, there's big overlap there. Mm-hmm. The end result of that theory is that they both, uh, we're, we're, we're certain what shin splints are at their mm-hmm. essence. You know, we know that it's, it's an overuse thing. Mm-hmm. We know that it's, um, stress along that medial side of the tibia. So it's, it's a very defined, uh, a very well-defined um, diagnosis. But what causes that or what contributes to that, you know, mm. in reality, it may be multifactorial and mm. it may, may be just similar to how we've spoken in the past about plantar fasciitis and fasciosis and, you know, mm. bundling it up into plantar fasciopathy, for example, because sometimes we have inflammation there, sometimes we don't have inflammation there, but they present very similarly and we know the structures involved. We know what causes that. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding or, or um, <clears throat> I think just adding a different layer to our understanding through these different theories and being able to apply them rather than just taking one and saying, well, it, you know, I have to go this way or I have to go that way. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the, at the end of the day, clinically what you're seeing is, is the same thing. It's just, it could be explained in a couple of different ways. And, the beauty of having more than one theory available is it gives you more than one way of uh, approaching the problem and more than mm. one way of understanding what's happening for that particular. Because the other thing is that it's very individual. So mm-hmm. you, you really have to make it fit uh, the, the narrative that you have while you're looking at an, an athlete or a, you know, a person that's presenting with some sort of shin splint, you've got to be able to make that story make sense. Mm-hmm. And you've got to, so having more theories at our disposal, is really only a good thing for that gotcha. uh, yep. because we can put it into the context of that person. Mm. Whereas if you, if you looked at it from only a, uh, for example, 
you know, it's a tight muscle that's causing this mm -hmm. or something like that. And then in that person that didn't actually eventuate, you know, you, mm. you did your clinical testing and it wasn't a tight muscle. You, you could easily just go the other way if you didn't have these other understandings of, yep. okay, well, you know, it's not a tight muscle, but it could be this and it could be that and it could be that. Gotcha. Uh, so it's a, it's a good thing to have. Yes, indeed. That's a very good perspective. Mm. I think that's um, for those people who might be a little bit uh, concerned when they hear any kind of a uh, health professional start saying, <laughs> well, we have a number of possible explanations. Um, that's actually mm. a good thing because in a sense, it allows them to better tailor any treatment to that individual. So exactly. on that topic, so how do we treat shin splints? Well, we, we, as we sort of touched on, it's very mm. individual because yep. the, it really depends on what's happening. So we know that at the highest level, we know it's an overuse thing. Mm. Uh, so something must have changed uh, for this additional loading. Um, to oh, so and can usually, I just ask quickly then? Does that mean people are very likely to be just living their life as they always have and then one day wake up with shin splints? They have probably changed what they're doing in some way, and now they have shin splints. Is that fair to say? That, that's yeah, that's okay. more likely. So if right. you woke up and you had shin splints, uh, mm -hmm. that would be, uh, as I was saying earlier, that that wouldn't fit the narrative. Yeah. So I'd gotcha. have to look deeper into that and say, okay, well, you know, why would we just mm. wake up and have shin splints? Now, usually, usually for medial tibial stress syndrome, it's not enough force to cause a fracture. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, when we were talking before about that spectrum or that continuum. When we're at stress reaction stage, that's uh, that's slight overuse, slight overuse over time. So you're getting micro trauma, micro trauma mm -hmm. building up. It's not enough to cause, not enough force um, to cause a a distinct acute fracture, for example. So that would happen more if there was a an impact injury, for example, would be a lot of force loading, and then that would present as a fracture. You'd skip that whole overuse part. You know, so that would mm -hmm. happen, for example, in a tackle or something like that on the sports field. But pain that's sort of inflammatory in nature that is um, creeping up, that would be more akin to the shin splint sort of diagnosis. Mm. So when we, when we see a person with, especially medial tibial stress syndrome, when we see a person present with something like that, we're then looking for uh, things that, that are happening that are supporting that diagnosis. So it's, it's very much a clinical thing to start with. Mm. And it can even be self-diagnosed, like we're saying, mm. you know, pain in that, in that lower third on the inside part of the, of the leg, um, just above your ankle. You can touch around the bone there, like we're saying, it's mainly bone or mainly at the interface between the bone and the squishy part, which is, would be the tenderness attachment and the mm -hmm. muscle. Uh, but usually it's going to be, it's going to be sore at the start of an activity, for example, um, and then it, it might sometimes warm up and go away, and then it will come back towards the end of an activity or when they've rested or the next morning, you know, so you're getting a bit of tenderness. Sometimes it's there throughout the whole activity, and then as it progresses, it's there just when they get up in the morning and they're walking around, mm. you know, sore in their everyday sort of life. So that, that progression is what we're looking for. That's that typical um, overuse thing that would lead me down that path rather than it, is it an acute fracture, for example, whereas um, an acute fracture might not present with that diffuse pain along that whole you know, mm -hmm. lower third or that whole inside border of the tibia. Uh, a fracture would be a lot more acute and it would, you know, would just happen. Like you said, you know, woke up mm -hmm. one day and it was sore or it was gotcha. playing one day and it got really sore and it's a, it's a lot more focal. So it's uh, typically we call that, you know, a hotspot or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, if you've heard people refer to that, Yep. So it's a lot more focal pain rather than a diffuse sort of area. Right. Um, 
Gotcha. That, that's what we'd be looking at there. Gotcha. And so from the sounds of it, it's almost a bit more like a, um, uh, it's more like an investigation into understanding what's likely to have caused it. Mm. And it, if I've understood this correctly, it's really just a case of what winding back on that specific activity or, or is it tuning that activity so it doesn't put as much load upon you? Yeah, that, that, that's one of the, mm. that's definitely a big part of it. Clint. So one, winding back activity or telling someone to rest is mm. usually not a good thing because mm. like we said we still want that stress to to be able to mm. model and for the bone to be able to to be able to withstand activity uh, you know we're just buying time if we're resting and usually mm. that would be usually the resting part would be if we had a fracture for example right. yep. you know, if we've progressed that far or we or, or we're sort of very close to a fracture in reality we don't know how where on the spectrum the person is Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, but we know they're in the in the phase where we're not quite a fracture, or we know they're in the phase where you know you've crossed over that and it is a fracture now. So depending yep. on where we see the same injury, you could have two different um, mm. two different diagnoses. But if we if we're looking at it from the perspective of it, it's still not a fracture. We we want to rest because we want to uh, introduce some healing time for the mm. bone and remodeling time for the bone. Absolutely. So we we do what's called relative rest. So. Mm-hmm. It would be modifying an activity. So we're modifying mm-hmm. the load. We might be introducing rest days, for example. Mm-hmm. We might be uh, delaying the, um, you know, just delaying for a few days or a week or something like that to get some initial healing. And then, you know, mm-hmm. we can then reintroduce that person back to sport or back to an activity. Uh, but we, we have to look at different factors. And because we know that it's a bone injury, um, in, in, in its essence, really, it's an impact overuse thing. So mm. what we're then looking at is what surfaces are we training on? You know how how what are the what's the frequency mm-hmm. that we're training at? What's the intensity that we're training at? What shoes are we wearing? So making sure that we're using the right type of shoes for the activity, very important because different shoes have different uh, stiffnesses, different support, you know, different cushioning properties. Is the shoe perhaps too old? Is the shoe the wrong type of shoe for mm-hmm. that person's foot type? You know, so there's those extrinsic things like running on grass compared to running on sand compared to running on concrete, you know, mm. compared to basketball, tennis, all those different sports and how quickly have they increased their training load. So usually it would be, for example, we'd see shin splints very, very commonly in the clinic uh, in a return to preseason, for example, right. people have had a bit of time off, gotcha. gone back to hard grounds mm. and they've just done a lot more activity. And so that right. that's typically where we're going to see that sort of thing. Mm. So I guess that's good to know that it's not the end of um, your physical activity. It could be, you've got so many things to choose from. You know, you could look at changing frequency, the shoes you wear, the surfaces you train on, um, or the duration on different surfaces. And there are quite a number of things you could do to let yourself keep on training and overcome the shin splints. But you also mentioned pre-season. I guess a shin splints, a reminder that maybe it's good to not get lazy in the first place. Oh, well, yeah, well, it, it really just depends on, you know, the, the sort of circumstances that you're in. If you've, if you've had a large training block to finish the season, for example, you know, mm-hmm. we, we still need to give our body some time to, yeah. to recover, but it's that reintroduction to yeah. activity, I think is the, you know, that shifting back into that mode. If you, if you've had two weeks of doing nothing, for example, mm. and then you just all mm. of a sudden ramp it up, that would be right. a uh, as short as two weeks, any overuse. Yeah. Two weeks is yeah. Mm. yeah. But but it's a recipe for many overuse injuries. It's it you know mm. shin splints is one of yeah a number of them. So you must need a preseason for a preseason. Yeah yeah, or, or you just keep doing a little like you said yeah. you know relatively resting. Yeah you know maybe we don't stop and do nothing at all. Maybe mm. we're we're still doing something, but we're 
we're doing a lot less and mm. then we're introducing slowly. But the other thing is that, I mean, they're all extrinsic factors. Mm -hmm. they're, they're factors that are outside of our body. Um, but then there's our own mechanics as well. So our mm -hmm. biomechanics, and that's a very, very important one and hugely individual. So when we were saying before, picking the right shoe for the mm -hmm. foot type, mm -hmm. picking the right shoe for the activity. So that's really important because that's, uh, as we said, it's, you know, at its essence impact. So yeah. what we're trying to look at here is how do we reduce that force, um, the loading, how do we mm. reduce the stress on the bone? And so when we look at uh, people's mechanics and foot types, uh, it's, uh, I'd say more associated with people who pronate a lot more or pronate mm -hmm. excessively. Also people who are very supinated. So they have got a very high arch foot, for mm. example, um, which is typically uh, not as, uh, you know, a stiff high arch rigid foot is typically not as uh, efficient at handling force and stress mm -hmm. as a, yep. um, as a foot that's more adaptable mm -hmm. uh, for the same reason as we're saying with a hard, you know, running on a hard ground is yep. as, yeah. So I think looking at someone's foot type and, um, and definitely correcting the mechanics if we needed to. So their mm -hmm. foot posture, their foot yep. type foot posture, uh, we look at how they're running and, you know, we can all, we can sometimes go down the path of arch supports or insoles or mm. buttocks, that sort of thing in combination with the shoe. And those two are our mechanical sort of interventions, the shoe, mm. which is the first thing that hits the ground. And then you've got the insole, uh, mm. which is um, correcting your foot posture. Uh, that that way we can put you in the most efficient position um, while you're running or while you're performing your activity, even walking, whatever the case is in that particular presentation. And then we start looking at, okay, well, now that we've maximized the efficiency uh, intrinsically, mm -hmm. how do we then go about, um, how, how do we then go about adjusting those other factors around yep. that? So your training loads, you know, do yes. we introduce cross training, for example, where mm -hmm. you're still training, you're still mm -hmm. maintaining your cardiovascular fitness because, I mean, when we're talking about elite athletes, we're talking about training. Mm. But when we're talking about the weekend warriors and our everyday sort of population who are, you know, a little bit athletic, sometimes they're athletic for different reasons, right? Not not for a contract. They might mm. be athletic because it's their their mental health escape. You know, mm. I go running because I need yes. to see my head. Mm. I go walking because, uh, you know, I've got type 2 diabetes, for example, mm. and I've got to keep the uh, blood glucose levels down by implementing this mm. treatment program. And if I have shin splints i can't mm. you know do that and then i've got these other. so for these people who we have to keep active we then introduce things you know like cross training or we yep. might have we, we still need a way of doing something but mm. we need to manage that load and that's where i was saying before the it's a it's a very individual approach it's depending yeah. on where they are in the pain level or where they are in the spectrum of of the injury yeah. itself um gotcha and yeah, where so they are in lifestyle yeah, I was going to say, so to wrap that up in, I guess, sort of like the next two minutes or so, um, I guess these are things I've learned. One, we don't know entirely what chin splints are exactly. Could be a number of different things. Having said that, we do know how to treat them. And the good thing about the treatment is that there's actually quite a lot of options. So there is definitely that opportunity to find something that works mm -hmm. and that it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to step back from what the training is that we're doing. It's more of a tuning things because you've got so many variables out there that you can work with. So on the whole, um, if you did get shin splints, you could certainly have something a lot worse than shin splints, couldn't you? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. With regards yeah, to not, so, I mean, I'm sure they're very painful for some people, but they're definitely something can be treated. Definitely, yeah. And treated. Stretch, yeah, stretching, strengthening yeah. Ex, um, exercises. Uh, definitely things, 
a lot of things that people can do at home as well. So you yeah. can you can find that there's you know there are pain packs for shin splints. Mm. There are multiple exercises online and, and things gotcha. like that that you can get. But then if they need professional help or professional guidance, one yep. is if the pain is uh, pretty excessive, it's mm-hmm. limiting motion. If it doesn't fit that narrative, it's just like you said, woke up and had it one day. Mm. or you're getting a lot of tightness and things like that. And it's not in that same area. That's yep. when I'd seek some advice. Gotcha. Excellent advice. Um, and just everybody remember, um, Sam does have those uh, pain packs online. What's your URL again? Painpacks.com.au. Excellent. Where you can find those. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for that. And we'll talk Pleasure. to you next time. Catch you then. See, See you then. Thanks.